495 incorporated cities in the United States of America in the 50 states. Each town has its unique character, whether it's a population of one in Minoe, Nebraska, or if it's 8.8 million people in New York City. The identities of small towns across America are decaying as online retailers dominate the market and every town blends together into a sea of homogenous big box stores. Cities and states cling to their entertainment, sports teams, and industry jobs as continuity to their identities. In turn, many become victims of large corporations who exploit them with the threat of leaving and politicians happy to sell out constituents to finance their re-election or retirement. Welcome to the People's Podcast at The People's Basics. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the impact of corporatizing America on a community's identity and some of the drama in the city of Buffalo, New York. But before we get into that, Jackie, want to tell people how they can join our community? Sure, John. First, please be sure to subscribe and join the Universal People's uh, community. Second, click our link tree to find all of our links and all the platforms we're on, including our Discord, where we organize and where I live. Lastly, stay to the end to hear what next week's episode is about. So I, I think the first place when we have to start about talking about the corporatization of local identity has to be in the fact of these towns basically competing for these large retailers, such as the famous case that we had from a couple of years ago, and we now have a little bit more data on the actual releases of those bidding plans, was this Amazon bidding war. Uh, and essentially, Amazon was trying to plan having a second HQ. It eventually goes on to go to Virginia. But we had towns all across America competing very strongly to try and bring Amazon to them. And so in turn, they were offering all sorts of packages to get there because as we've discussed in our previous month's coverage on small businesses, a lot of these businesses are in deep, deep decline. And so people are becoming more dependent to provide jobs and economic opportunity to their areas by competing for these big, giant retailers to come into their towns to basically provide some level of support. Uh, and so essentially, there are different things that had to come into play when it came to handling these different bids, but eventually they came down to having three uh, different cities in their finalists, New York City, Northern Virginia, and Nashville. And essentially, they had all been bidding, you know, a tuned to 102 million on the short end from Nashville for 5,000 jobs to 2.8 billion from New York City in these tax credits that they were going to be providing. And essentially, this is something that we've seen not just with Amazon, but across so many businesses where you are starting to see the small businesses, you know, shrink up and die from the Walmarts of the world, as well as the Amazons of the world. And you're having no one to turn to except these big retailers. And so all of America is starting to look a little bit more similar. And these unique identities to small towns are starting to be harder to come by. So, it, yeah, it's so true. I live in right outside of uh, Corsicana, Texas, which is a historical 
little city, I think up about population 26,000, but in its heyday, it was um, one of the first places west of the Mississippi that discovered oil. So it, it was and does continue to have very wealthy people live there, but it's so depressed and there really aren't too many mom and pop shops. There are the big boxes and the retailers like uh, Walmart and, you know, Atwoods and Tractor Supply. Um, there's also a lot of stuff missing. We don't we don't have a lot of other things that people would consider, you know, normal in a, in a town. But um, it's really sad to see Main Street, which is like a really cute historical, you know, street and just all of the storefronts are closed. But you know, the Walmart is always busy. And essentially it's like, we don't really have a choice. So I used to be one of those people when I lived in the city that was like, oh, don't use Amazon, don't shop at Walmart. Well, it's really easy um, for people who live in the middle of, you know, big cities that have a lot of options to say that. But if you're like myself and my husband who live 20 miles away from, you know, the nearest dollar store, we will take what we can get. And sometimes we have, we, we have to use Amazon as much as I dislike it. Um, so there's not a lot of options for everybody and we need to keep that in mind, but it also, these, these companies absolutely, you know, destroyed the very fabric of a lot of these, these cities and towns all across America. Yeah. And, you know, this can be seen in some statistics around the difference in the growth rates between the size of large and small businesses in America. Since 1981, this gap has grown by over $3 billion uh, worth of assets in total. Uh, the performance gap is basically enormous. Uh, they have been basically doubling their returns essentially comparatively to the small businesses and the fraction of these companies is in their losses is widening too uh, you know 10 to 15 percent of large companies reported annual losses in the most recent years excluding obviously in 2020 when we had almost all businesses take some losses although you'd be surprised still the big businesses still did relatively well amazon grew in size facebook grew in size uh many of them still prospered but some of the retail businesses in the community suffered but you know for small companies that number was 60 to 65 percent reporting losses pre-pandemic and so this kind of gap is making it so more businesses and more communities are having to rely on all the same communities because all these small businesses are kind of dying up. And so even beyond Amazon, we had certain subsidy packages where there was like in Texas, uh, Williamson County, they had the 16 million incentive for package uh, for, Am uh, for, sorry, for Apple. Uh, they had, I think for Texas, they had offered Tesla around 60 million incentives to relocate from California. Yeah, these are all Austin. And um, I think it was Samsung uh was offered 200 million over a 17 year uh period uh ending in 2023 so there's all these different things where the communities are bidding for and spending their money on trying to bring these big businesses in rather than trying to use their money to invest in their own people and start new businesses in their own communities 
so that is definitely warping the culture. And I think it's making a loss of kind of identity. You know, we've seen this happen in uh, the general notion of just having kind of um, pride in one's area, that unique charm that says this feels like home. If every place looks the same and then all oh, the yeah. people might be moving out, what what defines a home in a community? Is it, is it its culture, the aspects to the town? Is it the people? Uh, I think with this kind of rising homogeneity, we're seeing a lot of people lose this sense of identity of what makes their areas truly special and great. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny too, because that used to just be, you know, every small town or every town would kind of have their central hub. And, you know, you had the post office, you had the bank, you know, these central locations that that people would come and converge almost ritualistically throughout the day. And that's, I mean, with the online community too, I mean, that's just almost non-existent, but it is kind of cute in some of these smaller towns in Texas, you can still go to like the bank and see old men playing checkers and stuff. But um, I also wanted to bring up, there's a town called Addison, Texas, that is um, outside of Dallas. Uh, I think it's like Northwest of Dallas, but they have changed that city to be walkable and it is so unique and it has some incredible features like cobblestone streets and this in this huge central um metal sculpture that is like literally like central to this walkable downtown area and i mean i i've saw it transform from just like your generic regular suburban town um adjacent to the big city to its own identity its own culture it's got some really cool pubs and they have the um oktoberfest there so addison texas is a really cool um example of a town kind of reclaiming its identity or even like giving itself a, a 21st century identity and I, it's such a cool place and more people should like um try to maybe get involved with their local um city councils and stuff and try to do a lot of those like walkable community festival oriented stuff, because we are talking about community after all. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one of the points you make there is a, a really good one on this notion of how the physical structure of how we design our communities has largely led to this in degrees. Uh, you know, when you have communities who are centered around having residential areas separated from commercial areas, you're going to have a lot more often this need to have kind of a lot of big chains in a certain area because you're going to have a reliance on cars to kind of get from point to point. And so in turn, you kind of need these big locations that people are kind of coming to in many instances. And so that kind of leads to the Walmarts of the world setting up these huge retail locations with a massive parking lot next to it. Uh, is because we have this culture that says if you want to be kind of a, a consumer and get connected in a lot of America because of the way we designed our suburbs, uh, we are saying you must use a car to get there. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a little independent business in a location like that. Uh, the The return on investment is usually not great for those businesses because of the space being taken up by simply the parking lots. Uh, but, you know, 
One thing I also think is really important, we, we, we've been talking about like businesses in terms of providing an identity, but I think one of the things that provides honestly kind of the, one of the strongest forms of identity for a lot of people in America is sports. And it is something that has just as much, um, you know, problems with how it does subsidization of these processes. And uh, it's a $70 billion industry in America currently across all the major sports leagues. And we have basically subsidized across these leagues, federally even, $3.2 billion. Um, and so the notion that uh, we are kind of supporting this industry that's already making a ton of money with more on top of that. And in most cases, these are groups owned by private owners. Uh, it is something where we are basically just subsidizing the rich and towns feel like they have to go through with it because the businesses that are surrounding it kind of depend on it. And so a lot of the times, once you've kind of made this investment, you have all these teams who start to be kind of strong arming their towns into providing more and more for them to stay, or they'll go somewhere else where someone else will try and give it to them. And so this has kind of resulted in uh, most of these subsidies going actually to the MLB. Uh, I think it's to the tune of roughly like one third of that 3.2 billion is going to the MLB. And I'll admit most of it's going to my favorite team, the New York Yankees to the tune of 431 million. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's not always like this. We have some organizations who kind of take a, a more community oriented approach. Uh, one of the teams that does that is the green Bay Packers. Uh, they pride themselves on being the only publicly owned, not for profit major league professional team in the United States. Uh, you know, rather than having a single wealthy owner or multiple partners, the Packers are owned by their fans, you know, approximately like 360,000 shareholders uh, owning roughly 5 million shares. Uh, this basically also prohibits any person uh, from owning more than 200,000 shares to ensure that no individual can actually take over the team at some point. So, you know, this has definitely been something that has been a, a real boon. For these communities, like what do what do these people really get? You know, not not all that much, uh, frankly. But uh, what they are getting is, you know, a vote on technically the Green Bay's board of directors and the seven member like executive committee that decides it. So they actually have some ability to replace ownership if they don't like the job that they're doing in that uh, as well. I believe they have certain like fan certificates that they give. It's kind of like getting a little bit of a, a fan club card in a way. Uh, and it's just, it's just kind of owning something. It's like, they, as they said, it's not a, it's a not-for-profit. So it's not like they're trying to distribute out dividends to their, their towns, but they're, they're also trying to not uh, price gouge people in their areas uh, so, yeah, you know, I would imagine they might not um, take kindly to exact like ridiculously expensive beers and stuff if uh, if they're the, the owners as well. Yeah. But, you know, to that point of 
teams being kind of uh, strong-arming their communities, uh, we had mentioned that we wanted to do a little bit of focus on the city of Buffalo. Uh, One of the reasons is they are currently in negotiations regarding the extension of the lease. The Buffalo Bills have been considering whether or not they want to stay in the city of Buffalo, and they are basically making demands of their new area that they will only renew their lease if the city of Buffalo promises to build them a new stadium. Uh, And, you know, this is basically something that's going to come due quite soon. This is two years left on their lease, so they have to make the decision by 2023. And they say, essentially, uh, that they have not even started to do the look yet of choosing new cities, so they'll consider that for the future, so we don't need to speculate yet. But they're putting the pressure, saying, we're not going to renew if you don't give us a new stadium here. Um, And so this is something that the city of Buffalo is going to need to make the consideration if they're going to want to invest hundreds of millions of dollars to build, essentially, a new stadium to keep the team in place. And this is going to be a very interesting dynamic given that they are having a change in the local leadership there in the city of Buffalo. Presumably, I am making an assumption because there's actually a little bit of drama ongoing in the local politics. Uh, But before kind of getting into that, Jackie, do you have any thoughts on that kind of, you know, demanding of a new stadium in the area of Buffalo? Um, I mean, it sounds a little like extortion, (laughs) you know, like, um, do it or else. And I know that a lot of those surrounding businesses around the stadiums, every time there's a game, you know, they, they depend on that. I mean, they, that's like part of their expectations of like what, you know, their plan is for the year. So a lot of people are literally banking on those games happening. So it's not only a threat to the, like the city, and like, you know, the optics, but it's like a threat to every single business surrounding those, that stadium and that team um, who might lose out if they do leave. And, you know, here's the the crazy thing to me, um, thinking through the actual numbers of what it costs to build a stadium and what the actual like budget is of the city of Buffalo. It costs Roughly, this is what the Buffalo Bills propose to build this new stadium. They think it's going to cost $1.4 billion to build the new stadium. And if you look at the actual budget of the city of Buffalo, their operating budget is $534.5 million, which basically means they're asking the city of Buffalo to give roughly like two and a half, two and three quarters worth of years operating budgets to build a new stadium by the year 2027 is what they'd like. And so you have to ask yourself, is that worth it? Are you going to basically spend three times your budget almost to ensure that this group stays? And you're only getting the economic benefit of whatever new taxes are going to be coming in. But those profits aren't going to you. It's not like you get right. equity in the organization. And there are many exemptions that a lot of teams try to get themselves for. It's not mm-hmm. as bad as the past. We made a lot of changes to how 
uh, sports teams were classified. Actually, I think it was in the year 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. We made this ex- process saying, okay, these sports leagues and sports teams, we're going to start to tax you way more. Uh, we can't let you just constantly operate like you're a not-for-profit and right. a non-profit when you're not. Uh, and you have clear ownership structures. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to handle. But uh, I also wonder about the construction. I don't know if there's, you know, data on this, but the time and the amount of disruption to build one of these stadiums is also negatively affects surrounding businesses. So, um, every, you know, like when there's something new and they have like the roads are all tore up. I mean, Dallas is like always like this. So, and you can't, can't get into that one business. So you just drive past because it's too much of a a pain to like make a U-turn that every single time that happens, that business is losing money. So it would be interesting because those things don't just go up overnight. It takes a long time. So how much are these extended uh, construction projects negatively impacting? So when you say, is it worth it? Is that being taken into consideration in the equation? Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's very interesting to me because we recently, as I mentioned, I'm a Yankees fan, kind of went through a similar process where we had Yankee Stadium go to a new place in the old stadium. You still have to do something with it. So it's not yep. like it's just going to be $1.4 billion. You're going to have to spend new money to either transform the space that was there into something else, or you're going to just have a waste of land that's not really generating much. Uh, So it it is definitely more of a cost than the 1.4 billion that the Buffalo bills are citing. Uh, But as I mentioned before, there's, there's an interesting dynamic. As I said, this is a decision that people are going to have to make within the next two years to make sure that they are uh, getting them to renew their lease. And we have a new mayor who, well, we have a potential new mayor. Uh, We had a, primary election where a challenger uh, was successfully able to beat the incumbent. India Walton had challenged the current mayor, Byron Brown, and was successfully able to beat him. She was a democratic socialist. And after this primary campaign, Mayor Byron Brown uh, tried to get his name onto the ballot under a new party he created called the Buffalo Party. Wow. But They had this application rejected because of new laws in New York State that required that people who are looking to uh, basically get onto the ballot as a new independent line had to do so, uh, like, I think it's 23 weeks in advance. Uh, So he was unable to do that, but he's still continuing onward and is trying to have a write-in campaign to essentially retain his seat. And I I just find this interesting that we have essentially a Democratic incumbent who is a more moderate person, you know, not accepting this result uh, and wanting to basically leave the party, form a new party to try and just keep their seat. It's just very reminiscent to me of, uh, frankly, I think it's New York's 14th district, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district, where Joe Crowley um tried to do basically the same thing and ran on the working families party line as well as in a writing campaign um but essentially this is going to be an interesting dynamic where the party could become 
slightly divided on this. Uh, and we will see how, presumably, if India Walton is able to win, it's very rare that writing campaigns are going to win, how she is going to manage this uh, decision with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Mm -hmm. If there's going to be any demands for some ownership in the organization, if they do it, whether they're going to let the Bills leave, I think this is going to be something that is going to be a big decision on her plate, and I'm really interested to see what she'll handle it and what her position will be um, in the rest of this campaign. Yeah, that is a really interesting development. That that whole um, campaign has been really illuminating to watch in real time, like what happens when um, democratic socialists or socialist democratics <laughs> When, you know, like um, when the people speak, the establishment doesn't listen, <laughs> doesn't take the hint. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to say, like, what one final point on kind of this corporatization of local identity that I wanted to talk about was this kind of general notion of the media, too. Like, mm. you got so many local papers that have been kind of getting bought out by these like private equity groups, as well as some of these conglomerates like Sinclair Media. And it's destroying a lot of the actual local reporting, the actual investigatory journalism. We are seeing a stark increase in the level of nationalized content that these platforms are providing. And so when it comes to that kind of sense of local identity and hearing the actual local stories, we're starting to lose that because the media itself is largely being consolidated. We have obviously heard this with a lot of the national media, uh, but this is definitely happening on the local media. I believe it's now Sinclair Broadcasting owns roughly 40% of local uh, media stations. And so if you want to know how a town has its, its identity, a lot of the times it comes from who is actually doing the reporting of what's happening in the area. And if it's increasingly being owned by national figures, that identity starts to slip away as they try to nationalize the coverage. Yeah, we that is one thing I kind of appreciate in uh, Corsicana and the surrounding. It's Navarro County is like um, Corsicana and all the little surrounding tiny towns. Um, we We still have these cute little publications that like highlight local organizations and um, you know, actually talk about what the government, what the local government is doing. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see that that still exists here. Uh, and I get, you know, get it in our, uh, I think it's free actually. It comes in the mail. We didn't subscribe. So it is, it's cool that that still exists here, but it's definitely in major decline of most across most of America. And that was, you know, one of the things I really loved about one of Andrew Yang's policies, my one of my favorite ones of all time was uh, making libraries. Oh, my gosh, we're talking about communities. We haven't even talked about libraries, but uh, making libraries the hubs of communication and uh, news for your local communities. I love this idea because the, most places already have libraries. So the, the infrastructure is there. Um, librarians are highly trained, highly educated individuals. It takes a lot to be a librarian. Um, 
And I think a lot of people still have a lot of trust in librarians that it's not been politicized like every other position in this country. Like librarians are still pretty trusted because, you know, they they know how to discern and critically understand and read. So uh, I loved that policy. I I would love to see libraries utilized more. And when you talk about communities, I mean, um, growing up, the library was my absolute like safe haven. And uh, even in Dallas and Richardson, which is the suburb I lived in, they had a beautiful, incredible library and they did community events all the time. Um, And I personally like had a little free library, which is a cool like take a book, leave a book thing, which is also like. Uh, you know, community on a micro level. And that I, I wrote about that in my last article. So check out that permaculture article. But um, libraries are really integral to communities as well. Yeah. Shout out to libraries. <laughs> so I think that should do it for our coverage today. I think the big theme that we wanted to get across in today's episode is that the consolidation of business is largely taking away from our ability to discern a local culture because so much of local culture is having your own unique offerings. But when that stops becoming the case, what really makes yourself all that unique? And so our recommendations to the people who are listening today on this matter is first and foremost, please do try to support small and local business. You hear it a lot. And I know it's it's getting hard, but we, we need to actively do it. The the decisions we make as individuals do yep. matter. We can yep. set the demand and we are trying here today to try and spread that awareness to you all that these things matter. And, you know, the thing I think about as well, uh, when we talked about Amazon at the get-go, go look at the direct suppliers. Look if there is anything local that sells a similar product. Just mm-hmm. Try to find the way that you don't have to go and give them the business. It's very convenient. I get it. But we need to be making sure that we can preserve our local independence, that we are not being controlled by these big federalized you know, corporations. Uh, that way we have some you know, say over how our communities are operating. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of there's a, a motto for Austin, Texas. They say keep. Austin weird because Austin absolutely does have a culture and a history and it's very hippy dippy and progressive. It's a progressive bastion in the sea of red and conservatism. So, you know, with this influx of these big corporations, there was a lot of local pushback and activism and advocacy, you know, saying like, we need to keep Austin weird. We need to keep this community identity that we have built up and cultivated over all of these decades. Yeah. And I think one of the ways we can do this is not just the way we make our personal consumption decisions, but also we need the actual people in charge who are leading a lot of the zoning and are in charge of how we do our spending, you know, actually on the side of these small local businesses, rather than trying to do these massive subsidizations of large corporations. Uh, So the way you do that is we have to become more active in our local communities and there at more of the town meetings so that we are understanding what decisions are being made. 
And we also need to be making sure that we are trying to support not just local businesses specifically, but the local papers. So, you know, making sure that we are starting to start our own, uh, you know, journalism there uh, is is really important. So if you want to make sure that your community is informed, as we said, you know, you can be the action. You are the individual change that can be brought. And so we, we encourage you today, don't just focus on the big picture nationally. I, that's what a lot of the media wants to cover right now. Start to get your eyes focused on what's happening in your own community locally and the decisions they make there. But that's going to do it for us, Universal People. We hope you enjoyed today's People's Podcast on the People's Basics. Please make sure that you support our network by subscribing and liking and rating this podcast if you enjoyed hearing what we had today. And please join our Discord community by clicking the link in the description section. Jackie, you want to let the folks know what we got going on for our next week? Yes, definitely want to tune into next week's discussion. We are going to be talking about the American holiday calendar and its impact on national identity and community. So please also check out our previous content on community. That's um, every week in the month of September. We're going to be publishing content talking about community. That's our topic. And um, also there's going to be some links in the description section. So definitely check those out. Okay, everyone. We want to thank you all for listening today and supporting the home of the Universal Basics. From us at the People's Podcast, We hope you have a great day out there and we'll see you all next week. Thanks y'all. Peace.